Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and today I have a special guest, another Joe. Uh, Joe Goodberry is joining me, and we are going to dig into the upcoming game with playoff implications between the Broncos and the Bengals. Uh, and I, I gotta say, I'm pretty excited because the last time the Broncos and the Bengals played each other in a game that actually mattered was the year that the Broncos went on to win the Super Bowl. Uh, I don't think it's probably reasonable to hope for that this year, but the, the, the nostalgia memory type thing is pretty good. Uh, definitely thinking about how Demarcus Lawrence, uh, scooped that fumble up. Yeah, man, I'm I'm trying to, you know what I'm thinking of? Uh, I'm probably mixing two games together because I started thinking of the one where A.J. McCarron had to play, and I want to say that's 2015 at the end. And then I was thinking of the one Monday night or Thursday night, and Drake Kirkpatrick picked off Peyton Manning, and I want to say it was a pick six, but the Bengals just ran it that day and had a great day. Uh, it ended up, the, the Broncos were in it at the end. I think they needed a conversion and drive down the field, and Carlos Dunlap ended up having a sack to close that out. Yep, I, I did the same thing. Uh right when like after initially talking to you i was thinking about that game and andy dalton the scram like he was on rpos in a read option he was just killing the broncos that day i want to say that was 2014 and mm. then when i was digging into this i i saw that i was wrong and the 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 mccarran fumbled snap that that yeah. uh demarcus ware picked up and it uh secured the broncos playoff bid so i would not complain if uh you know if something similar goes the Broncos way this time. Uh, but we'll probably, you know, we'll get into that. Uh, yeah, you know, 
But yeah, and if any Bengals fan listens to this, that was our year, 2015, man. We really felt like the Bengals had a shot at winning the Super Bowl, and then Dalton broke his thumb, and that was it. And that's yeah, and and, and I guess that's actually a really good segue because I think that's one of those parts to this that I think both fan bases might might need to kind of like remember is that with a whole month left while the playoff field kind of looks like it's shaping up and it's like really set a key injury in one spot or like bum luck with COVID could completely like the Browns right now look like they're headed for just a dumpster fire because of everything going on with COVID stuff. And again, like not rooting for that. Um, You know, I hope, you know, everybody that's sick is going to get better, but like a lot can change and the AFC playoff field is still so wide open, especially at the bottom that both these teams could still make it in regardless of how the game goes. But at the same time, this game has huge playoff implications because the Broncos basically, if they lose this game, they need to win three straight games against the AFC West. Yeah. And it's maybe a little bit different for the Bengals that this may be their least important game. And maybe, you know, that's, that's not true. I think the chiefs game is probably their least important game because they're probably competing for a spot with the Broncos. If they lose this then the tiebreaker is, is, is sold right then and there, yeah. uh, but they still have a game against the Ravens and the Browns and with what the Browns are going through right now. And what, what the Ravens are going through all year, really, with injuries and Alamar Jackson's down, it may just take those two games to get into the playoffs and be a division winner. Uh, but, man, uh, you got to say that that Chiefs game is probably the hardest game left. So the Bengals would be probably in good shape if they can win this one this week. So kind of looking ahead to the game then, uh, and I actually – I really dropped the ball because I didn't, I didn't throw out, throw the injuries down into a list in front of us. But I do know from what I was seeing earlier today that the Broncos, at least today, and again, guys, if you're listening, we're recording on Wednesday, but uh, Shelby Harris was limited in practice. Kareem Jackson, Melvin Gordon, Bobby Massey, Caden Stearns were all out. And uh, Draymond Jones was also out. That's the big one. Uh, if Draymond Jones can't play, that really does hurt the Broncos. Or if he's hampered even in the game, and you know, likely he will be, uh, just because he's the Broncos' best pass rusher. And, uh, I would say based on just, I've, I've only really started to study two games so far and I'm working, you know, on the Bengals tape, but from what I've noticed, that is probably like an area where Draymond could get some pressure is against Hakeem Adeniji. Uh, that is probably one of the weaker spots on in the pass protection. And without Draymond, the Broncos are down to basically Shelby Harris, who's playing through pain and then a lot of run defenders on the interior. So that's, that's an issue for sure. Yeah, and for the Bengals, really, as of now, I would say that Riley Reef is probably out. They said doubtful, but just the way Zach Taylor said it was like that he's going to be out. He dealt with an ankle injury. Tried to he missed one game. Tried to go through this game, this last week's game against uh, the 49ers. Didn't make it. And I think they're just going to hold him out until he's ready to go in case there's a playoff run. And that's at right tackle. So uh, if you know, again, we got all line issues for the Bengals. Has been the last few years. But if it's right guard, right tackle being the two issues, then yeah, I mean, not having Draymond would be a nice boost for the Bengals to, to really not worry about it. Because you're right, Akeem Adeniji, really doesn't matter who's been playing right guard. They actually feel most confident with Adeniji there. But it's really whoever they plugged in this year has been uh, the sore spot on the offensive line. And and to be fair, if there's Bengals fans listening, I do actually like Adeniji when he was coming out. Um, but also offensive line, it kind of takes a couple years usually for guys yeah. to really find their footing. I know, I think you guys are kind of dealing with that. The fan base is kind of dealing with that right now with Jonah Williams. Uh, as somebody who watched this go with Garrett Bowles in a much more dramatic fashion, because I was very critical of Bowles. There could be, you know, silver lining at the end of the rainbow with it. It just, it takes some time. But, but I do think that that's going to be huge because 
and, and we'll get into Burrow more because Burrow is going to be huge for this matchup. But one thing that I've noticed is that teams have been able to get to him. Um, part of that, I think, is him kind of hanging around in the pocket a little bit to buy time, make plays. And I think he does a good job kind of mitigating the rush. But also, the Broncos don't really have a pass rush. So what Vic Fangio can do to scheme it up is going to be huge in this game. So Reef being out, Adenogy being kind of shaky, looks like the most obvious place to try and attack. And then hopefully, you know, you make Burrow uncomfortable. Yeah, it is a big story about Burrow, who he is and his strengths and weaknesses, because I think he's a creator. He's one of those quarterbacks that it's okay if he's feeling pressure. It's okay if he's got to break contain, if he's got to go to a third option, if he's got to extend a play or whatever it may be. He's very fine in chaos. That is okay with him. Uh, and at times almost invites it, which gets him hit, gets him hurt, gets sometimes you hold it just long enough to get that throw off. You're going to take the hit, but it's a beautiful throw and a touchdown and we'll take it. But we're always constantly holding our breath when, when Burrow's back there. And it's, you know what it is? It's kind of um, going from Andy Dalton to Joe Burrow also has a very um, kind of jarring way to watch football because you got one guy who doesn't want to create off structure. One guy who can't um, keep himself cool and, and calm, keep his vision and his eyes up when pressure comes in and Andy Dalton to a guy that that's okay. That's fine with him. And he's going to take some sacks and he's going to take some hits, but he's going to create so many more positive plays that you kind of just have to live with it and live with some of those bad things once in a while, because it, you know, if he gets sacked on second down, that doesn't mean you're punting on, on fourth where it felt like that with Andy Dalton, because you're not going to convert on third and 15. You're kind of still in it with Joe Burrow. And you're like, Hey, he took a sack on second and eight, but you know what? Third and 13 is no big deal. I feel like he can convert. Uh, so yes, Having a play style like that, man, I want to protect them more and more. Like last year, I'm like, oh yeah, draft Jamar Chase, you know, forget um, forget the the O line thing until round two or three. And now I'm like, get more O linemen, man, because every time he's protected, oh my god, I look, it looks like you're watching the next guy, and it's like I want that, and I want to protect him, and I want this offensive line. They did a good job getting it from being one of the worst in the league to being passable. Now I want to get it to another step with this kind of quarterback that almost invites the pressure. So it's a mix of the two. But if you're going to blitz him, he's tremendous against the blitz. Very good at seeing it. Very good at picking it up. Very good at seeing where your weakness is going to be and hitting it. Your best bet to cause a little bit of holding of the ball so that your pressure can get there is to rotate your coverages and try and give him something he hasn't seen, which I think that's definitely where Fangio will probably lean. And I think that's going to be probably – the big matchup in terms of, you know, the Broncos uh, defense against the Bengals offense is going to actually be Joe Burrow versus whatever Fangio is doing. Because basically, the again, I, I mentioned this once already, but I, I don't think I can stress enough. The Broncos pass rush is completely relying on the blitz this season because Bradley Chubb is hurt. Uh, he's playing through pain now. He's coming back from bone spurs. They mm. traded Von Miller. Uh, I would say their best edge rusher right now is actually Jonathan Cooper, who's a rookie seventh round pick. And again, he's been pretty good, but he has limitations and they're going to probably show up in this game because he has short arms. So Mm. Isaiah Prince is going to have length on him. And then Jonah Williams is good enough against a player like Cooper that it's not going to be easy running for him. Uh, So it's going to really depend on the coverage and kind of making Burrow hang in the pocket long enough for pressure to get there. And to the Broncos credit, they have a really good secondary. Their, Their pass defense has been good all year. Um, but they haven't played many teams that have the weapons that you guys have. And that's where I think I land on this debate is I get it. I understood like the Penny Sewell versus Jamar Chase thing. And I also both prospects were insane. So yeah, I don't think you could have gone wrong with either one of them really. 
but the fact that you guys grabbed Jamar Chase, I, I want to see he has six catches for 40 plus yards on the year. Uh, I, I don't have the number right in front of me, but I want to say he had like 10, 20 plus. Like he's been monstrous. Uh, I know he has some drops. I know the the drop in the uh, the Chargers game was pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, but like by and large, like he's a wide receiver one. Um, definitely going to probably be one of the biggest tests Sertan's had this year. Uh, and then across from him, you guys have Tyler Boyd, who is, I, I studied him a couple years back for Dan Hatman Scouting Academy. I really like him. I think he's a lot better than he gets credit for. Um, mm-hmm. And then T Higgins, T Higgins is kind of breaking out as a legitimate, like bully ball wide receiver too. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, you know what they're missing. It's, it was kind of funny because when you just look on the surface and say, well, all right, Boyd and Higgins, if Higgins takes another step, man, he's kind of like a number one, maybe he doesn't have the speed and can't run, you know, everything the way you want because he's a big body guy. Uh, but with him and Boyd, you should be fine. But the Bengals are a three wide receiver team and they really lack the guy that could take the top off the defense uh, you know, and, and really unlock Joe Burrow's deep ball. He was a tremendous deep ball thrower at LSU. I mean, he had crazy talent. He's got Jeff, Justin Jefferson and, and T. Higgins, right? Terrace Marshall Jr. also. Uh, I mean, so then when they – you see it last year, and he was horrible in deep passes. I think completed 20% of his, yeah. his, his deep throws. I mean, it was like, oh, no, these guys don't typically succeed. They need to figure out how to um, uh, uncork that again and unleash that and get that back for Burrow in Burrow's game. And it really has, he's one of the best deep ball throwers in the league right now. And it's, it, it's really to Jamar chase Higgins has had a couple, uh, Boyd will get one every few weeks type of thing where I just think he's Boyd is a really good slot receiver. Yeah. He's going to run good routes. He's going to be make contested grabs. He's going to be a smart guy. The only disconnect they're having right now is when Burrow goes off script, you would think the slot guy would be a great, you know, safety guy to, to really, uh, hit on those. It, Boyd seems to not be in sync with it. It's Jamar Chase, man. Chase knows where Burrow's going. Burrow knows where Chase is going. And then you see the one fourth and five touchdown last week where they're down yeah. by uh, 13 or 16, whatever it was. But he, he he rolls out to the right after looking left, rolls to the right. Chase is running to the left back towards the, the, the goalpost. Burrow throws it to the right. Chase hits the brakes, turns, and catches it with his feet in on the sidelines. And you're just like, geez, did they, like, talk about this? And they're like, afterwards, like, no, I just knew he'd turn and, and – and Chase is like, I don't know where he's throwing it. I just saw the ball and went over there and got it. And I'm like, yeah, these two just got some magic together, man. And I'm definitely, it's one of those things where I'm definitely nervous about that aspect of it, just because if the Broncos can't get pressure on Burrow, Burrow is so accurate. First of all, he's, I would say for a second year quarterback, he's definitely ahead of the curve in terms of like diagnosing where to go with the ball. And he does a really good job of throwing guys open, which I think is mm. part of why Higgins is having such a good year. Um, Cause a lot of people will look at burrow and they'll say, well, he doesn't have Herbert's arm, but I think they, they kind of like they sleep on the fact that while he may not have like the, the 99 arm strength, it's good enough. And then he makes the most of it because he throws with anticipation. Oh yeah. And, That's the word. It's beautiful. Honest. I, yeah. I mean, I hate it this week, but it's beautiful to watch. Like he's one of those guys I just like watching. Um, but it's going to suck because if the Broncos have an issue in space in, in their zone spacing, Burl's going to make them pay for it. And the Broncos are probably going to have Jonas Griffin, uh, Griffith starting at one of their linebacker spots. Broncos have started eight different linebackers this year. So like in the middle of the field, like it's just going to be a shooting gallery to Boyd and uh, Uzama. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely kind of nervous about that. And I think Zach Taylor does a decent job of dialing up routes to that part of the field. 
So he's had to because they've been seeing more cover two looks, trying to take away the the deep ball to Jamar Chase, right? So what's the way to beat that? Is you got to get her over the middle, and that's Boyd. And then he's been getting deeper dig routes to Higgins, and Higgins has been feasting on these fifteen yard dig routes, man, where there's just nobody over the middle, and whether they they occupy or they make the linebacker move and they throw into the to the window behind them, and, and it's the Higgins, and they're just. There was a point last uh, week where they get in the overtime, and that's the first play. Bang. Okay, you guys want to stay in the cover, too? Right over the middle, 25 yards to Higgins. And it's like, man, here they're, they're going to drive down. They're going to score. They scored three possessions in a row. Uh, the Niners are reeling. They've got nobody at, at corner. And then the Bengals just inexplicably, after a 23-yard pass to Uzama, so, again, over the middle, he chips um, Bosa just and flares out afterwards and wide open because nobody covers him, and he picks up 23 yards. Then they run it twice in a row for almost nothing and almost don't even get Burrow a chance to look at the line. Like they go up and it's a light box uh, and nobody, nobody's even on Boyd and they still run it. And then they get up quick snap, run it. And now it's third and three. That's where the Bengals offenses killed themselves this year is when it's like, you're not giving Burrow a chance to actually look at the field and make a decision, whether he wants to run or pass or, or can he change the play and, or you're forcing the run when it's just not there. They're not a great run blocking team, but Joe Mixon is really good. So it's kind of like you can run some days, some days you can't. Depends on the front of the other team. And, and they just sometimes they'll pound it into the wall until it breaks. Some games it breaks, some games it does not. And this was one against 49ers where it just did not. And it left them in a situation where it's an obvious passing situation. Uh, Burrow gets confused and, and gets sacked. So uh, then ultimately that was their last snap on offense. And that's how this offense has been you know, really limited and when it shouldn't be in, at times. And I think this is going to be one of those weeks where you guys do find some success running the ball. Uh, the Broncos, and again, I just alluded to the issues at linebacker, but the Broncos run defense for the whole season, basically since Alexander Johnson went out early in the year, their run defense has kind of become a sieve. Like I want to say by DVOA, they are a bottom six team, bottom seven team. And then they're even worse in the red zone. So that's definitely something I'm kind of nervous about is what Joe Mixon is going to be able to do around the twenties. Uh, just because I want to say, and again, you probably know this better than me. I want to say he has 12 touchdowns or I know he yeah. has at least 10 and it was eight straight games. It might've been nine before last week. Yeah. So I, I do think that there's going to be like an effort to establish a run because I think the Broncos are going to invite it because Fangio typically plays light boxes and kind of just tries to, if you want to try and punish them all day with bully ball, you can. That's the way they, to do it. Yeah. Because they don't believe anybody's going to do it, but mm. The Ravens game, uh, the Eagles game, especially. Um, so I don't know if it'll necessarily be that bad, but I do think you guys are going to probably have some success on the ground. And I think the Bengals want to do that. You know, I, to, it's funny because for, for the first eight games or so, maybe 10 weeks, there was uh, talk that, you know, Burrow's probably not 100% until he gets to that point anyway. So maybe you should limit his hits. Maybe you should limit how often he's throwing behind an offensive line that's in a rebuilding mode. Uh, and that made sense. Force the run. Make sure you get good at running the ball. And they did. You know, they came out of the bye week, and they're actually were running it down teams' throats. And it became um, a no That's the thing, right? There's there's two ways to go about it. You can run the ball, and it doesn't really do anything to set up your passing attack, right? And that doesn't really help your offense as a whole. And that's when people and analysts are like, ah, oh, the running game doesn't matter. It doesn't really put points on the board. It's not how you win. When your running game can complement your passing game and turn your passing game into a more dangerous aspect, and now your passing game is more efficient than it was before, 
that's when it helps. That's when you're t- putting up 30 points a game in your high-powered offense. So that's why they want to run it. They want to keep running it. They want to keep her healthy, but they want to get the play-action plays. They want to get the easy throws. They want to get the, the wide-open guys that you only get by forcing the linebackers to step up or forcing the safety to, to just hesitate a little bit. And so I think the Bengals will, again, come into this game thinking we want to run it 25 times at least, and if the game script goes their way, this could easily be a mix-in day where he gets 30 carries. And basically, and this is going to be an interesting game in terms of like evaluating from the Broncos first uh, side of it, just because since Alexander Johnson's injury, the Broncos run defense when they have not had Baron Browning in the lineup, because there's been a couple games where he's come out and stuff. The run game went from bad to probably one of the two worst in football. Uh, But this game, because Kenny Young is going to probably be the question, whereas Browning should be healthy. We'll kind of see if he, if, you know, the rookie can make some sort of impact. But again, no Draymond's going to hurt. Shelby's playing hurt. Mike Purcell is not what he looked like last year. So it's, it's definitely a concern. Yeah. And for me, when I look at it, the, like the Broncos team, anyways, uh, you would think their strength is their corners. Yeah. You know, and their, their secondary. And if you can avoid throwing into that situation, I think, you know, just, I think any team's going to look at this and say the same thing, right? Let me try and run the ball. Let me do some play action, get throws over the middle against those linebackers. And if you can do that and you can stay ahead of the, I'm going to mention game script again, because I think it's a big thing. I don't know if you guys talk about this a lot, because I don't know if it, because I think it it affects different teams differently. And what I mean is when the Bengals are down and teams can rush the passer and really pin back and just go for it and not care about the running game. Burrow is a sitting duck and he has food back there. And it is bad news for this offensive line. They're a fine pass protecting team when you don't know if they're running or passing and when they can mix in some play action, some screens, and they just control the game and they stay ahead of the sticks. As soon as things go bad and they're down, and that's been a big issue for them. They've been a great second half scoring team. It's They will come out flat, really, really flat, and then be down 14 points to the Jaguars on Thursday night football, almost 21 really, because Jags got stopped at the one yard line to end the half. And it was like, oh my God, how are you, how is this happening? And then they run off and score four straight drives and, and to win the game in second half. And it's like, there's the team. How is this, you know, how do you guys get yourselves into these holes? Same thing happened versus the Chargers. They just turn the ball over a bunch, get down before you know it. It's 20 to nothing. Same thing with the Niners. They, they're down by 14 within before halftime. And it's like, how do you got two muff punts? You're fumbling the ball. You're missing wide open guys. You're giving up sacks on third down. You just, they have these, the, the markings of a young team with talent. You just don't know what you're always going to get because it's so inconsistent play to play. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And I'm glad you mentioned that, actually. We'll probably just pivot right to the special teams because I do think that this is going to be one of those games where I don't feel really nervous about Tom McMahon, and that's probably like a trap in my mind. Uh, Listeners already know this, but basically the Broncos special teams have been bad for four years. They actually Mm -hmm. were bad for five years, but when Tom McMahon came in to, you know, quote unquote, like fix it, 
it never got fixed. The Broncos went from the third, I want to say the worst special teams in the league to the 24th. And then they, or no, they 30, 32nd to the 31st to the 24th, 24th. And then now they're back down to 29th in terms of DVOA. Um, but I mean, on the year, like they've allowed a field goal block. They've had two punts blocked. They've had a couple of really close calls. Uh, they gave up a 40, they gave up Devin Durvin, Devin Duvernay's career long punt return. Uh, Jamal Agnew scored a touchdown on them against the Jaguars. Like they, they've just, they, they're every week. You kind of have like a reason to sweat, like what's going on on special teams. You guys kind of are living that in, in the last couple yeah. weeks because, uh, the kick return game was kind of shaky against the chargers. And I know against the 49ers, they averaged 13.3 yards of return. And then the punt yeah. returners, there was two muff punt returns that cost you guys 10 points. I would say the offense and the defense easily won the 49ers game. It's just they got screwed by the special teams. Yep, 100%. And they bobbled some kickoffs too, which resulted in them only getting like 13 yards on the return. You know what happened is Brandon Wilson was their kick returner, and he was really, really good. You look at some of the stats. I think he led the league or was second to only Duvernay um, two years ago. Uh, really good return man. Ended up going on IR, I think, week seven or eight. Uh, so they've been trying to figure out who's going to be the kick returner and who's going to be the punt returner. It's been Darius Phillips at punt return for all year. Uh, Wilson was the the kick returner, but Phillips for some reason has been shaky and getting shakier and shakier. He's 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 a depth corner that has had to start at some times in previous years, and we've always liked him. He's been a playmaker. Uh, he's a former wide receiver for Central Michigan. I think he scored 13 touchdowns in college between fumble recoveries, interceptions, one as a wide receiver, and in the kick and punt return game. And he, actually, he had a 77-yarder in a preseason game against the Colts a couple years ago. So we've liked him. He's just not a very good catcher of the punts, right? He's like that, that hit-or-miss guy that you're kind of nervous about when he's about to go back there. And he had his worst day, and they ended up putting him on IR, which – kind of weird. I think he's going to be cut or placed in IR after the, that performance of muffing two punts in a row. Really gave 10 points to the Niners right then and there in the yeah, first yeah. half. Uh, but then I think the kick returner job, they want it to be Chris Evans, their six-round pick out of Michigan running back, who's been a really good player for them, but he's dealt with injuries this year. And he was out this week, so they had Stanley Morgan, who's like their special teams ace-type guy, really good blocker, not, not that much of a receiver. Uh, he can do it when he has to. He rotates in, and when he's in the game, it's pretty much a run play. Uh, but that's fun to watch him do different things. But anyways, he shouldn't be back there kick returning. So this week, it's going to be Trenton Irwin, who's been a kick returner in his uh, in his career as the as the punt returner. I'm sorry, and then Chris Evans is practicing. It looks like he'll be back as the kick returner, and they got to get it together because everything else on special teams has been great. Yep. They're punting very well. They're kicking from 55 yarders, no problem with a rookie kicker. I can't wait to see him kick in Denver if he can pull off a 60 yarder or so. That'd be awesome i think and he's got the leg to do it man i think he hit from 70 and and they've been great at coverage i mean you're talking about guys returning touchdowns that's, that hasn't even come close to the Bengals yet this year I, I we haven't i don't think i've been scared one time on a, on a kick or punt up punt return no i would say when i was looking at the numbers basically the return the return games are the two areas where you guys have had any sort of issues on special teams everything else is like average or much better on um, the kickoff and punt coverage are both like quite good so this is not a week to expect anything from Deontay Spencer. Hopefully he doesn't muff a punt. He did against Kansas City. Uh, but I got, you know, the Broncos special teams have been bad for so long that I basically have to, we have to talk about it because it could end up secretly costing Denver points. Uh, hopefully not this week. And we're coming off a week where it probably lost the game for the Bengals. So it's fair to talk about special teams. Uh, 
but assuming that's not, you know, the deciding thing, I do think that this game is going to probably come down to what the Broncos offense is able to do against the Bengals defense. Uh, because I do think at the end of the day, Burrow's going to be able to move the ball. Um, I think the red zone is going to be a big part of like what happens between the Broncos defense and the Bengals offense. Mm. But I think like the matchup in general, like I think the biggest matchup is actually going to be what Teddy Bridgewater is able to do against this Bengals defense. It looks like Terry Hendrickson is going to be able to play. Um, and he, I mean, he got, he got by, uh, Rashawn Slater a couple weeks ago. So I think like I, for those listening, if you haven't been paying attention to Trey Hendrickson this year, like he's going to be an issue for Garrett Bowles. Uh, and you guys actually also have Sam Hubbard. Uh, I think that the pressure scheme is going to also be a factor, especially if the Broncos, the Broncos end up in a lot of must pass situations on third down. Um, which is one of the reasons why their third down percentage has been so bad. Uh, their first down, second down offense, a lot of times, Shermer, Shermer doesn't do a really great job with uh, drive starters. He'll he'll just give you know give a handoff for three yards. All of a sudden, it's second along, and then mm, playing if you the, for third down. Exactly, yeah, he plays for third down, and then all of a sudden, if you know the first two plays don't set him up ideally, you're in like third and six or more. And based on the games I've watched so far, Von Bell is a big part of it from what I've seen. They'll mug the line of scrimmage um, with six guys, and any of them could be coming. Uh, Von Bell is almost always a part of that, but then you also get one linebacker, or there has been a couple plays where I saw Jesse Bates do it. I saw Mike Hilton come quite a mm-hmm. few times. Um, but in those situations, basically, they overload the pass protection. So the offense, Broncos, will have to probably keep a back in and then probably chip with the tight end, or they'll have to go hot, which then you're throwing short of the sticks a lot. Um, so it's one of those situations where the best way to probably move the ball in the Bengals, in my opinion, is to stay out of those must pass situations. Yeah. The Bengals had, were a poor defense for, for the last two years under Lou Anarumo after Zach Taylor got there. He just seemed in over his head, wasn't ready for the position, but they dumped money into that side in free agency every single off season, whether it's signing like DJ reader, Trey Hendrickson, uh, Vaughn Bell, uh, They've re-extended Sam Hubbard. They brought in two defensive tackles, Larry Ogunjobi and B.J. Hill. Both have been very solid rotational players. Uh, And then they've signed Chidobi Awuzie, Mike Hilton, even Trey Waynes, who hasn't played because he's been injured, could play this week, could be activated off IR and give them their three starting corners in their minds. Uh, So that could happen even if he rotates with Eli Apple. But they've been really good this year for the most part. I mean, there's been a couple games where it's like, yeah, it's just not their day. You know, rock, paper, scissors, they're putting out scissors and they're getting smashed by rock. It happens. Uh, but for the most part, they're they're multiple enough. They can do enough to give you problems. And it's the depth along the D-line. Some They they hired Marion Hobby, the defensive line coach from the Saints. He was with the Dolphins also. He's had a long, productive career as a defensive line coach. He's been one of their biggest additions this year. Uh, Hendrickson, though, if you're a Broncos fan, and I don't – I kind of been almost feeling like I've been too positive about the Bengals. They have issues. But, we're, you know, we're, we're talking about, like, Trey Hendrickson. If you're a Broncos fan, you don't know who that is. He played four years with the Saints. Bengals signed him this offseason. Uh, he had 14 sacks using the PFF method of half sacks count as full sacks last year and 40-something pressures. This year he's already got 50 pressures and 14 sacks again. So, I mean, he is getting home. He's applying pressure. He's going to rush off that right end. He's a very, very athletic guy with good hands and a high motor. Uh, on the other side, though, Hubbard, not the best athlete, but super versatile, super smart, strong, very good against the run, and just does not stop. The two of them at edge, they don't stop, man. And that's why you get a lot of these sacks, because the coverage has been 
really, really good this year. And a lot of it is because they feel great about their safeties and they'll play zone coverage and they'll just say, you know what, we'll make you hold that ball maybe a half second longer. If we can, we feel like this pass rush gets home and they've had success with it. And one of the things uh, with the pressure package that I mentioned that I've, I was noticing, at least again, on the two games I've like really looked over uh, a lot of times they'll play like cover four or cover three over the top of it. So then, and again, like on third and six or, you know, third and six plus, you can do this because even if Bridgewater throws hot short of the six, right. I slam for four yards. They'll tackle. Yeah. They'll come up and they have the speed on the back end to actually come up and still stop it. Uh, I've been, I was impressed so far by the Bengals defense. It's definitely going to be a test. You know what it is? It's, they're much smarter this year. It's like when you know, all right, we're blitzing over here. We got coverage here, whatever it may be. Speaking in general terms, okay, the hot is probably going to be here and they're probably going to, if you, once everyone understands that they almost, you know, can fake out of their blitz and run directly to where the hot's supposed to be. And they already know, and they're going to make the tackle quickly when you don't know those things. And there's parts missing in your defense, whether it be injuries, linebackers have been unstable and they have the last few years, or just they've had so many injuries the last couple of years where guys are coming in and out. They'll show that blitz back out and they, Oh, there's a hot. Oh, he got the first down. And so like, you've got to be able to anticipate that stuff on defense Talk about anticipation on offense for the quarterback. You got the same thing for defense, especially at safety position, I feel like. And that they really like their two safeties in Jesse Bates and Bob Bell. And I'm actually really nervous about Bridgewater kind of testing Jesse Bates just because Bates is really good at like in the center of the field. Like he will oh, yeah. he will make you pay for throwing it in his his vicinity. And the middle of the field is kind of where Bridgewater's been making his money basically for the last month. Uh, Bridgewater started out really hot to, you know, to begin the year. Uh, and he's kind of hit like a skid basically over the last month or so. I think part of its injury, uh, he had a shin injury in the chargers game. He had a concussion in the Baltimore game and he's had a lower body injury from earlier in the season. Uh, you know, it's hard to say, um, based on what I'm seeing on film, he looks pretty similar to what he has, but he's not driving the ball as far, you know, outside the numbers as much as he was. Uh, and then you see like Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick's overall numbers are way down. Um, mm. and, and I think part of that is the quarterback's not getting the ball, but, but if he's going to rely on the middle of the field, then you're kind of asking the safeties to make plays on it. And Bates is actually good enough to do so. And the Bengals play a lot of middle field closed. So yep. they're going to have a deep free safety and that's where Bates is good at. And, and for the praise we've given Bates already, he's having his worst year or he's just not capitalizing on these plays. They, for example, last week, the Niners are driving to kick a field goal to win the game in, in regulation. It's about 30 seconds, I think, on the clock. The Bengals are like, all right, we're going to have a, a robber situation where Bates is going to come down in the middle of the field, and we're going to bait uh, Jimmy G to throw in it. And he throws it, and Bates drops it. And it could have returned to probably an end of the game right then and there uh, had he have scored or at least get a field goal out of it. And it's just like, man, he's missing these plays that normally he makes. I mean, we're calling them – a top five safety uh, this offseason. Bengals need to extend him. He's got to get extended, and they didn't extend him for whatever reason. They come, didn't come to an agreement, and I think it's had an effect on him. And he, he's made more mistakes than ever, and hasn't capitalized on the chances you get. As a, if you're a deep free safety, you're only getting one play, probably a game where you can make an impact. Yeah. Other than hey, don't throw it there because that guy's back there and he's good, which will happen. So, like I said, the Bengals will play a middle field close. So Bates will be the deep guy, and they'll bring Vaughn Bell down into the box. They'll blitz him. They'll show blitz. They'll drop him into coverage as a linebacker. They're going to make you say, all right, we're going to test the boundary, and you're going to throw against. They feel really good about Chidobe Awuzie. He's been really good this year. Yeah, uh, and they're going to maybe even shade Jesse Bates towards Eli Apple's side and say, we want you to throw 
towards Awuzie. We want you to throw towards Mike Hilton if you can. So they want you to throw towards the boundary to the lower percentage parts of the field, and you're going to win that way. If if they're going to play deep cover four, cover two, it's only to mix it in. I'm talking it's like probably a third to 40% of their coverages, and that's when you're going to get your chances, chances to go over the middle. And Logan Wilson, their middle linebacker who had – Man, did he have five interceptions already or four? But he's out for the for the foreseeable future, probably the next few weeks. And they have Joe Bocci in there, an undrafted guy, second-year player, I want to say. Uh, he's not great in coverage. So maybe you'll be able to pick your points that way and say, okay, we've got the two deep safeties. We've got Bocci where we want him. We're going to try and maybe get Noah Fan or somebody over the middle. It would be a – I would be cool with that if uh, they kind of stayed away from the safeties. Uh, so – and, and again, you kind of touched on this, but I'm just curious, what would you say then beyond Bocce, or I guess even including Bocce, is that really the best way to attack this Bengals defense? Is it basically just kind of like try and feast on him as much as you can? I would force it towards Eli Apple. Uh, you know, he's a former first round pick, so he's got some talent and I think he definitely looks better in the zone scheme and he seems to understand what he's doing. But having years of watching him at other teams, I think he's a liability and that's a guy I will target in the secondary. Now, if he starts rotating with Trey Waynes, that's probably still a place I'm targeting, you know, because I, I Waynes has played three games in two years now. Uh, so I'm trying to target that. And I think the Bengals know it when you watch it on film. It's at times like, yeah, they're not even giving you a chance to throw that way unless you want to throw it. Jesse Bates and Eli Apple. And again, I don't think teams want to do that. So uh, I would that's where I'm going. I want to get these linebackers in coverage again, like Bocce, but also because I think Jermaine Pratt, the other linebacker, is hit or miss. He has some great days and he has some days where I think you can expose him a little bit. Uh, the other thing that I feel when I get frustrated watching this Bengals defense is the depth at end. And Trey Hendrickson's already about to hit his snap count for a career high. Uh, they know that, and he's not great against the runs. So you want to run outside zone towards him. I don't think you want to run inside against Bengals. DJ Reader is one of the best nose tackles in the league. Yes. And they, they got enough guys to rotate with him with Josh Tupau, uh, Larry Ogunjobi, and B.J. Hill at D-tackle. That they're, They feel good on the inside at defensive tackle, especially stopping the run. But I feel like when you gotta when you see that Hendrickson's not out there, when you see that Hubbard's not out there, it's a guy that probably isn't on most rosters in the league. And I think that's when your your chances. I'm running it at Hendrickson even if he's in there, and if he's not, I'm definitely running it that way. And if they're out of the game, I'm taking my shot play at that point. This is one of those weeks too where I would really like the Broncos to kind of start to dial up more pin and pull and more like pull concepts where they're using a lead blocker with Quinn Miners or Dalton Reisner. Uh, just because like you mentioned that this is not the week to just try and jam it in the middle with inside zone or duo and stuff like that. And again, that's been kind of the Broncos bread and butter all season. Cause that's Melvin Gordon's best concept. Yeah. Um, but honestly it's, that's where you get, that's the strength of your guys' run defense. It doesn't make sense yeah. to run there. So hopefully, hopefully they kind of, kind of adjust to it. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting game in terms of strengths and weaknesses. It is. I feel Good about the Bengals, but I have in the last two weeks too. I felt good about them against the Niners and Chargers. They shot themselves in the foot both first halves of those games. If they do it again, finally playing away, they've been home, I feel like, for the last few weeks now. Uh, they'll be home to almost finish the year too. If you go away, you go to Denver, and that's a tough place to play. We know that. Everyone knows that. What kind of effect does it have on a team that might be having a little bit of confidence issues? You know, I, I say that because – on one end, man, you guys keep finding ways to screw it up. How does this happen? It's a new guy every single time. And then, like, there's no deficit that's too large for them this year. 
Like when they get on it and they put it in the ball in Burrow's hands and they just say, all right, go out and chuck it. We need to get back in this game. They get back in the game very quickly. And it's very fun to watch for, I think, even for opposing teams to go, oh, man, those boys are they're good. If they don't kill themselves in the first half, they're going to be a good team. And I think we all feel the same way. So I am watching this game to wonder who's going to make that mistake. But also, I feel like the Bengals match up really well in this game. They do. And that's. I think people are sleeping on the Bengals and Broncos country because you look ahead and you see the chargers and the chiefs and you know, those are the devils, you know, but the thing is the Bengals have the personnel and the boundary to match up with Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick. Um, I agree with you. I do think that I would feel better testing Eli Apple, um, you know, put the ball up, give Cortland Sutton. If the matchup happens that way, where it's Sutton on right. Apple, you know, put the ball up and let Sutton try and make, you know, make plays in the air. But, the other way but, it would be to get uh, Sutland in the slot if you kind of get Mike Hilton on him, 5'9", and you can get him going upfield, maybe get a slot fade or something off that and get give him a jump ball, let him use his size. I, I, I agree. Those are the two ways I'm trying to get uh, a shot play on this team, whether Apple or get uh, my big receiver in the slot. But you guys have corners. Like, even, even, like I agree with you. The, the size mismatch is definitely something I test. But it's not like you guys have a huge hole at corner. Um, and then like the issue at, at linebacker at that point, you're relying on Judy. If you know, Judy can get free or Fant. and the way Shermer's used Fant most of the year, he's not necessarily a reliable target right in the middle of the field much. He'll use Hank routes, but a lot of times he's chipping release going out on an arrow mm. and the Broncos run inside zone. And then on defense on the other side of the ball, the Broncos have no pass rush. Like their pass rush is completely blitz dependent, which is just inviting Burrow to get hot. Cause once Burrow gets in rhythm, he's going to be able to put points on the board. So this is definitely the Broncos have a chance to win this game because I think both teams are kind of like prone to shooting themselves in the foot. But mm. at the same time, if the Broncos get like the best effort from the Bengals, this could get ugly. If the Broncos are sleeping on them, the Bengals have given some teams their best effort, whether it be like the Raiders and they win 30, was it 33, 13. Um, and then the, the Steelers the, twice this year, they, yeah. they blew them out both times. And it's like, and they blew out the the Ravens also 30, no, 41, uh, 17. And that was, I think it was 41, 10 for most of that game. Uh, when they put it down and put their best foot down and they score in the first half and keep going, you're like, this team's going to put up 30 points quickly. And the only way they stop is really it's shooting themselves in the foot or just relying on the run a little bit too much and shortening the game, which is fine when your defense is playing well and you're not shooting yourself in the foot. The Bengals are, have the least amount of penalties in the league. So shooting themselves in the foot doesn't come that way. It's legit turnovers and weird mistakes. Which for all Burrow's strengths, and we gushed about him a little bit, because he's such an anticipatory thrower and he leans on that, he throws into coverage sometimes because he's like, all right, my guy's going to be there. Chuck it. Well, interception, I guess I wasn't supposed to throw it to that at that time. 15 interceptions, I want to say this year. Uh, he was going to give you a chance. So if, if that plays out that way, that's how the Bengals lose this game easily. I, I got to say, there was this throw he made in the Chargers game where he's he's out and empty. Uh, I can't remember who the linebacker was, but he dropped into space and Boyd is right behind him. And Burrow yeah. drops the ball. The, the backer goes up to try and get it, and he's within inches of the ball, and it just goes right over his head to yep. Boyd. It's a beautiful play. Uh, but I, but like, as I'm watching, I'm just thinking like, man, Baron Browning might be able to make that if that happens again. And that's what's happened this year. A couple of times. It's just like, he's like, I can, I can throw with enough touch over this guy or I can, he's not turned around yet and he throws it and it gets picked or him and Boyd, uh, there was an overtime game versus the Packers. They go toe to toe with the Packers on week four. I want to say it was, and they get in overtime, uh, Bengals get the ball first and they've got, uh, 
outside run and goes slot guys is from empty slot guys are running curls deep curls and then boyd's got an option route over the middle so you're getting your deep safeties for the for the packers to go deep and you've got boyd versus the linebacker right so boyd will will come and he'll, he'll set and turn and look at burrow and they kind of have to make eye contact which way are you going to go based on ways leaning and the way the the linebackers leaning well boyd goes one way burrow throws the other and it's an interception first play in overtime of course packers missed that kick the bengals get multiple opportunities that game in a, in a hilarious event of uh weird football but things like that are how they've really put themselves in bad situations so that kind of brings me to my my one other question i have for you because in a lot of ways i think the bronco i think broncos country and Bengals fans are kind of in a similar boat this year. Uh, maybe not exactly the same because you guys actually have a quarterback. We, you know, we're kind of in the wilderness a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, this is the best season the Bengals have had since 2015. Mm-hmm. And it's the Broncos' best season since 2016. This is the the best record both teams have since that year. Like, where where to kind of like where do you land on things? Because Broncos country, it's like I think a lot of fans are just kind of like existentialists where they're just like, it doesn't matter. We're not going to win the Super Bowl. We might not even, you know, make the playoffs, just blow it up, fire everybody now. And it's like, to me, like maybe, maybe it's just cause I've been a cynical jerk for, you know, three years now, but I'm like, dude, this is the most fun I've had watching the Broncos since I started doing this as a job. So like, I'm cool with this year. I know that, you know, probably not hoisting a Lombardi, but enjoy it until right. we can yeah, and I think it's going to sound like we're in very similar situations because it is weird. Marvin Lewis is there for 16 years, right? Yeah. And he made the Bengals relevant. And it's it's kind of funny because when they – right at one point, the Bengals are 5-2 and two this year, and they're getting national headlines, and people are finally talking about them. They're saying it's the first time they've been good in a long time. And I'm like, is 2015 that long ago? Am I get, is time going that fast? They were they did start 4-1 and one in 2018. Uh, and then everyone got hurt, and that was it. Andy Dalton goes down, AJ Green goes down, and that was pretty much the that was it for Marvin Lewis in that Bengals era. Uh, but they did go to six playoffs uh, out of seven years from 09 to, to 2015. They were a really good team. The roster was stacked. The coaching had multiple future head coaches with Hugh Jackson, Mike Zimmer, and uh, Jay Gruden on the roster or on the staff. Uh, it was a good time to watch Bengals football, and they didn't win a playoff game. So, you know, there's here we are now as a fan base that's just like, number one, they're a laughing stock in a lot of ways for, for being the Bengals and for, for ownership. And yet they have been a quality team over, you know, since 2000, uh, but they haven't won anything. There's nothing to show for it. So you still end up feeling the same way of what's the difference if you're getting beat in the wild card or if you're getting the first pick, which they've had plenty of both. And here's a team that has drafted now three good quarterbacks in a row with Carson Palmer, Andy Dalton, and, and Joe Burrow. They're doing something right. Uh, it's just not enough of the right. So we're kind of still one foot in the door, one foot out. And like you, I am very critical of this team and this franchise and, and cynical in the way I view it. Uh, but at the same time, here's year two of a quarterback we all believe in. People are like, oh, they're a year too early. No, they're not. If you look at year two quarterbacks, they win the Super Bowl sometimes. They go to the playoffs. They fight for at least 500. If you're not, you got a problem. You go back and look at year two quarterbacks drafted in the first round. If you're not fighting for 500 in year two, that guy doesn't succeed. And so I expected this completely. I said before, 9-10 wins isn't crazy to me. And here they are. They're on that verge, and they couldn't do that. And I hope they do it. Plus, we're in December. You're playing competitive football against teams with winning records. This is what you want. This isn't this what everyone's waiting for. Show me when they're good, then I'll buy in. 
this is it, guys. This is what it looks like. This is what year two of a good team looks like. And I don't know what more you guys want to see. Uh, Joe Burrow didn't lose those playoff games. Jamar Chase didn't lose those playoff games. Those guys don't know anything about that. In fact, I think they feel like they're winners. And it, get the Bengals in the playoffs five straight years with those rosters that uh, Andy Dalton had. But give me Joe Burrow. And guess what? I feel very, very good about their chances to not be the Bengals anymore and be that be the Saints finally, you know, and win one after being laughed at for 30 years. So I want them to get to that point. I want Joe Burrow in that playoff game with the spotlight on him, and I can't wait to watch it. I think for Broncos fans, part of it is that, and maybe this is like me being older, because um, like I, I got into the Broncos, like really obsessed with the Broncos when it was like Jake Plummer, and, you know, in the Josh McDaniels era, like that was right. like the low point. So like Peyton Manning, like by the time Peyton Manning happened, I had already watched what like shitty football looked like. Mm-hmm. And the whole time with Manning, you had this whole like, oh, God, if they don't win a title, this whole four year run is going to be a failure. So like there was a lot of it felt like a lot of pressure in general. But like since then, like the Broncos have been so bad. That's like, dude, just enjoy it. You mentioned ownership and I'm glad you did. Because I think that's another one of those areas where I think Broncos country and Bengals fans are kind of have a little bit of overlap, not the same, but the Broncos are about to head to the situation where the team's going to be sold. People in the media are still kind of pretending Brittany Boland's going to keep the team, but the Broncos have reached out to six different banks about selling the franchise. Like it's going to happen. It's just waiting, you know, for the official word. And that uncertainty is definitely looming over everything because George Payton is in the first year of his contract, but a new owner may very well decide to completely change everything. That makes everything feel like it has to be this year. Yeah. But realistically, when Aaron Rodgers didn't leave Green Bay and it became Drew Locke versus Teddy Bridgewater, like this is like best case scenario for the Broncos, except their defense is not quite as good as I had hoped. It's like where I would land on the team. And that's, I feel like for me, expectations are right around what they're doing. I just wish the defense was a little better. Yeah, and I completely get that from an outsider perspective looking at the Broncos. One of my best friends is a Broncos fan. So when you start talking about like Jake Plummer and then Jake Cutler and all those years, I mean, I watched a lot of those Broncos games with him. And yeah, I know where you guys were. And then getting that right, that that adding the free agents and stuff during the Peyton Manning years, it's a, way, it's a different way to operate when you know you've got a window open. And what's so when you, you get the Peyton Manning here, and if you got some young listeners that don't remember going from one to to that Peyton Manning year of okay, we've got a chance, they start adding free agents, they start bringing guys in, they start signing guys, keeping guys, guys take take pay cuts to keep under the cap, and you make a push for it in that two, three year, four year window, if if so be it lasts that long. Same happens when you get that franchise quarterback and you feel exactly. you've got it. You get to year two and you say, Okay, he's the real deal. Year three, those teams. Man, they splurge, they push the cap, they get it in there as aggressive and as hard as they can, and that's when you see the team and the difference of, of a franchise, ownership, GM. Everything just looks and feels a little bit different, but you're always waiting for that quarterback. And so maybe that's why uh, you guys maybe or some of your fans may feel that way of, you know, I'm not going full in because I don't feel they have that quarterback yet. And when they do, the team will, and I will jump in there. But to me, I'm with you. We've seen some fun teams when you don't feel great about the quarterback or the team isn't all in the Bengals were like that with Andy Dalton. We knew there was a cap. I mean, he may be statistically the worst quarterback in the playoffs of all time, but yet we look back at those teams very fondly, had a lot of good times and remember a lot of fun wins and fun years and, and some good players that came through in that window without them really maximizing it and going as far as they could. 
I don't necessarily agree that Andy Dalton was bad. He was drafted in the second round. Um, right. and, and I know like realistically, like, yes, he's your starting quarterback, but also I think he reached the apex of like what realistically you could expect from a second oh, yeah. quarterback. And I think that's one of the other big like splits a lot of fans are having in Broncos country is that when, when it, the year started with Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke, it was, well, if Drew Locke is, you know, he, he's basically only started 18 games. So he's a rookie. This is going to be a second year surge. And it's like, guys, I, I've looked at, you know, a hundred guys who played quarterback since 2000. It's not realistic to expect this. And people still hung out hope. I like, I get it. I hoped that, you know, that would happen, but I also knew it probably wouldn't because realistically the best second round quarterbacks since 2000 are Drew Brees, who's, you know, a complete outlier. And he would have been a first round quarterback in a 32 team league. First of all, mm-hmm. right. but then it's, then it's Derek Carr and Andy Dalton. Those are the two best right. quarterbacks since 2000 other than Drew Brees. And right. That's what you're hoping Julak can turn into. And it's just not worth it at that point. Because if you no. said, okay, well, you, would you take Andy Dalton and, and Derek Carr in their primes? And you just say, not unless the roster was tremendous. And let me tell you that Bengals 2015 roster, what? top five O-line, receivers galore, tight end. I mean, Tyler Eifert scored 15 touchdowns that year at tight end. Giovanni Bernard and Jeremy Hill were both very good at the time. Green, Marvin Jones, Muhammad Sanu. The defense was a top 10 unit. They were stacked, man, stacked. I think they had five first-round corners on that roster. Uh, that team was good, and yet he was good that year too, Andy Dalton, but he got hurt. But, yeah, I still wasn't fully sold. And I remember Drew Locke. I remember meeting him at the Senior Bowl and talking to him and getting asked him some questions. And I remember, like, man, this guy is sharp. He's, he's got a great personality. You can see why teams are going to like him. Uh, he's recalling things from, like, third grade. I remember in a question I asked him about going off script uh, and, and how he really struggled with that in, in terms of uh, walking the line of uh, creating a positive play and creating a negative play. And how do you find that balance and, and pull it? And he had a great answer. I'm like, you know what? This guy's going to figure it out. Cause I remember they're watching the tape and going, I like, I mean, he can move well enough. He's got a cannon for an arm and he makes some plays when things break down, but he also, man, some weird, wild plays, bad plays when things break down as well. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he goes. And then, and this was in January. So then like February, I start getting like the data from the people that collect all this stuff. And I go, oh man, his data is not very good in terms of projectability. And the next level, it's probably going to go in the second round because of that. Uh, when you break out at the at a later age, we've got Joe Burrow who breaks out at 23 years old, but uh, you know, and he ends up being the first overall pick. But with uh, Drew Locke doing it at his age and then not really having really great production, whether Missouri didn't want him to throw deep like the first couple of years and then only throwing deep. And then it was very odd and very weird. Um, and so they probably, even then, probably shouldn't have put a lot of hopes in Locke. And it felt like they hung on to that. Even now, going into this year, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is a fine fallback option. But again, you're probably getting the best version of Teddy Bridgewater you probably are going yes. to get. And, and it, it just is what it is. It's kind of what we've dubbed quarterback purgatory. You're yeah. not in quarterback health. You're not going to get a legit upgrade in a top 12 pick or so unless the Broncos end up losing out and ending, ending up in that 8 to 12 spot, uh, which could happen, I guess. Or you're picking in the mid-teens to the early 20s if they're good enough to make the playoffs. And the Bengals were there a bunch of times. And you're looking at guys, and I remember, because I remember looking at uh, Derek Carr and Teddy Bridgewater to bring them back full circle here that year 2014 and thinking, I think the Bengals had the 24th pick and going, yeah, they could do it this year. Third year, fourth year going into Andy, Andy Dalton, they could take a quarterback instead of paying this guy. And uh, it's it's a weird limbo to be in there, that situation. And that's, you know, that's kind of a, 
for though if the Broncos lose this game, I'm kind of like full stop starting to like really start to move into offseason mode just because realistically, I mean, God help me. I hope they beat the Chiefs. The Broncos have lost 12 straight games to the Chiefs. It'd be awesome. Ooh, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. They haven't beat they haven't beaten the Chiefs since Peyton Manning had a comeback win in his last season. Yikes. Uh in the first Chiefs game. The second Chiefs game was when everybody thought Manning was done because he threw four picks. I want to say in a half. Like that was the meltdown game. But but yeah, the Broncos haven't been the Chiefs. So like realistically, and this Chiefs team looks like if they're a sleeping giant right now, they mm-hmm. on offense, if Pat Mahomes they might, be, got, they might have woken up. Yeah. If they if they put it together going down the stretch, like I don't see anybody beating them. Their defense is scary good. Uh but but yeah, so but looking ahead to the free agency in the draft, like Teddy Bridgewater may very well be the best quarterback available in free agency right now. Um it's him and Jameis, and Jameis had an ACL tear. Mm-hmm. Look at the draft class. And again, I know you're not looking at this draft class. You guys have a quarterback, but. But I'm aware, right? This QB class, everybody I talk to, and it's not just, you know, people who want to hold out hope are saying, oh, well, experts are wrong. Look at 2017. But it's like everybody is hating on this class. And when you look at the players, you can see why that a lot of them are second round quarterbacks who are going to get pushed into the first round conversation. So the Broncos are kind of comfortably in that QB purgatory because of what they did last year. Which to me is why, like, if you have a chance at a guy and you believe in him, you got to take him. Because if not, and and I, and I think that's the biggest mistake Peyton made so far. And I know you touched on it. It isn't that they drafted Drew Locke. Like, I don't think that was a mistake. I think right. the mistake was treating him like a first-round quarterback instead of accepting that he fell to the second round because of the limitations that we are seeing on the field. Right, exactly. And I will say... It feels like we're getting to the end here now. Looking at the off season, Sorry. if I could, no, you're fine. I I love you know. I mean, I'm a draft guy. I try and pay attention to every team draft a player evaluation. That's more my wheelhouse. I'd love to talk to you during the you know if we oh, get I, yeah, linked up again in April. If you're happy um, to come back, I would love to have you back. So for sure, and, and that's always been my wheelhouse. And now that I feel like the Bengals have drafted good quarterbacks uh, recently, at least at least Andy Dalton, you know, is fine is a fine swing and a. a especially for round two. And then if they if they truly have hit on Joe Burrow, which it feels like they have, the, the conversation we had at that time was Justin Herbert's upside. And all of the upside guys that seemingly hit recently, you know, a lot of guys like Josh Rosen, but he really didn't have the upside. And then you get guys like uh, Baker Mayfield, didn't really have the upside. And then Josh Allen hits it. Lamar Jackson pretty much hits it. Uh, Justin Herbert's hitting it, and it seems like, and it, it goes back even further. I mean, Deshaun Watson and and Pat Mahomes versus Mitch Trubisky. It, it seems like you should probably, if you find a guy that's like 21, 22 years old, no, no older than that, that's got the mobility, that is fine outside of structure, that can make plays outside of structure, and has a good arm, he's worth the chance that your coaches can get the, the right parts out of him. Because I think – this league, when you see it, when the average quarterback rating is about a 92, that means everyone's playing well. That means you're throwing at 65% completion. You got like a seven yards per attempt. Everyone's got a two to one touchdown to interception ratio. So every quarterback's good. So what separates the average quarterback now that that's good, producing well, from the truly elite guys? And in my opinion, it's the guys that are comfortable off script and creating plays. Uh, same senior bowl. I remember asking John Gruden about this is now whatever, but the, his answer, I, I said, how do you value these quarterbacks? How do you value the position of a quarterback that can go off script? I remember asking the Bengals GM to Tobin this as well. They both had the same exact answer. Basically is it is so hard to defend 
two plays and that's what you're doing because you have you you might say okay we've got the right defense lined up there I use a rock paper scissor analogy earlier you you got rock out there they've got scissors we've got this beat oh he extends the play we're screwed we can't have another play defended for this now and that's the guy that's making the difference from the average 92 rating quarterback that everyone seemingly has you want to find that guy when you're watching tape this uh, this this winter into spring who is good out of structure Agreed. Uh, so I guess one last thing before I let you go. What is your prediction for the game? And if it is not, I'm assuming you're going to pick Bengals. Uh, you know, if you're, if I'm wrong, you know, I'm, I'm wrong, but it, assuming that you pick the Bengals though, I would also be interested in how you could foresee the Broncos winning. Oh, easily. I'll start with that one. And the Bengals come out like they have and, and they, whether it be an, an early interception, I mean, they come out versus they get blown out by the Browns. Okay. Last time they played Bengals come out with a perfect first drive. And then we've been complaining about first drives all year. They come out script is beautiful. They go like 12 plays down there. They're at the goal, throw an interception, pick six, Denzel Ward, they're down seven, nothing. And that was it. They never get a chance to get as soon as that game script flipped that time. And they ended up punting on the next drive. The the Browns scored. It's 14-0. Now Miles Garrett is pinning his ears back, and it's just havoc. The game's over. 41-17. I think the game ends. 41-10. Whatever it was. A lot to a little. That's how it happens. It steamrolls on the Bengals. It snowballs on them. Uh, they have to stay ahead of the game. If the Bengals come out and score early and the Broncos don't, I love it. I love their chances because they are such a better team when they're ahead in the game. And like we've said, they can be hot and they can be potent on offense. And that's, I do like them because, man, I don't feel like you can go three games in a row playing the way they have, where it's just the mistakes are just crazy. The ones they've had, I mean, they should have beat the Chargers. It's 23 22, if I remember correctly. Bengals have the ball, second half, they're driving again. Nobody, if you do a poll right then and there, are the Bengals going to take the lead and are they going to win the game? I think it's like 90 to 10. Yes, they are. Mixon fumbles and they return it for a touchdown. And that was it. The pass rush starts getting home. Burrow ends up getting sacked six times in the game. And it's like, geez, they just cannot lose the lead. If they do, they're really bad at trying to protect and come back. So my prediction is the Bengals figure it out and win this game. Uh, they've played every team this year coming off a loss except for week one. This is the first time they'll play a team coming off of a win. So maybe that helps a little bit. Uh, and they've been better away than they have at home for whatever reason. So I'm going to go with the Bengals again. I'll say 27-20. Uh, so it's still a, a one-score game. Uh, and I will say uh, the way the Broncos win is if the Bengals screw it up, get down, and just can never recover. So hopefully that's what they do. Right. <laughs> but no. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, man. It was really fun. And like I said, uh, if you are down, I would love to talk to you again in the offseason. We can kind of look at what the Bengals are doing in free agency, how it's impacting you know everything, and then also – who looks good in the draft? Yeah. Uh, Cause uh, I know, I know most people in Broncos country are going to be obsessed with quarterbacks and, you know, rightfully so, mm -hmm. but I just started watching this edge class. This edge class is, Ooh, yeah. I want one already. I'm Me sitting too. here like, man, I don't know where we're picking, but I want one. Me too. Uh, so yeah, we should do this again. Um, but guys, if you do not follow Joe on Twitter, go do it. He is at Joe Goodberry. Um, yeah. And thanks again. Thanks for having me, Joe. It's been a good time, man.